This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Business Lens, broadcast on WKXL. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm joined this week and every week by Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America. Chris, welcome back. Always good to be here, Matt. For our subscribers and our podcast feed and our regular listeners on WKXL, I want to start off with a topic that may give you a little sense of deja vu because we've previewed it here before. We've talked about it before. It just has so many ramifications, implications, many other occasions for the economy and society. It's worth touching on again. This Monday, Apple released a new privacy feature that requires iPhone owners to explicitly choose whether to let apps like Facebook track them across other apps as they use apps and go across the internet and interact through their phones in various ways. And this brings up the fundamental clash in business models between two tech titans, Apple and Facebook, and associated other businesses that fall on different sides of this divide. Facebook has built its business model around giving away its app, giving away its services, and having its users be essentially the content that it is selling to advertisers. Advertisers ultimately pay the piper here. Apple really has built its business model around you buy their stuff, you buy their phones, you buy their products, you buy their apps. Two totally diametrically opposed business models. And now this move from Apple brings this whole fight this whole opposition to the fore again, because the interests of the two companies are in conflict. What did you make of this week's announcement and where we're going from here? I have to say that there's a part of me that loves this story because it appeals to me in the same way that a great sporting event appeals to me when there are two great teams going at each other. Um, these are two of the biggest companies in the world. And at the top of these two companies, we have Tim Cook at Apple. We have Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. And these two guys <laughs> reminds me of uh, the, the late, great Keith Jackson, who would call college football games for so many years on ABC. And every once in a while, he would say, these two teams just plain don't like each other. And the more we're learning about Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg, the more we're all getting a sense of these two guys. I, I don't want to say that they don't like each other, but they don't like the way the other is doing business. Um, the New York Times had a great story this week, sort of pulling back the curtain on a face-to-face -face meeting that Zuckerberg and Tim Cook had two years ago um, at an annual retreat in Sun Valley. And at the time, Facebook was dealing with 
uh, fallout from the Cambridge Analytical scandal, and um, and he, Zuckerberg asked Tim Cook, like, like, what do you think we should do? And Tim Cook said, you should delete everything. You should delete all the data you have. And and Zuckerberg took that not just as here's my advice, but took that as Tim Cook saying your core business model that you have at Facebook isn't good and it's untenable. Um, so uh, again, that's, you know, part of what's appealing to me about this story is just, it, this doesn't happen all that often in business. We know that businesses compete with one another. It's rare that we get um, this type of insight into the feelings that two CEOs at competing companies have for one another. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, from a business standpoint, Matt, this comes down to the business approach at Facebook is we're offering something for free and advertisers are paying for it. And we at Facebook think that is a good thing. That is a good utility that we're offering to people. And Tim Cook and Apple's approach is we think privacy is a fundamental human right. And yes, our products are expensive, but we are going to do everything we can as a business to protect your privacy. We think your data belongs to you. It shouldn't belong to anyone else. And we're going to see how this plays out as, you know, again, iPhone is the dominant mobile phone in America. This is less of an issue for Facebook outside the United States, where there are far more Android-based phones, Samsung Galaxy and that sort of thing, than there are in America. But in America, uh, the ripple effect here could be pretty tough in terms of how effective Facebook is at serving up ads for their advertisers. And then the ripple effect of that is, uh, what does it do to their revenue? Well, of course, Facebook's advertising business is a $70 billion business. So this is definitely a shot, not so much across uh, Facebook's nose as up it. And why I find this whole story so fascinating is that it really does tie sort of to a very high level issue in the economy and in business of whether there is a free lunch to be had out there. There was a very influential book written 2000, uh, 2009 uh, by Chris Anderson, former editor at Wired. I know you have some history with this. It was called Free. And it made the claim that more and more businesses were offering products and services for free. Of course, there was a back end to it, right? They were trying to get people to use their products and then to pay for upgrades to those products later on. That's since been called a freemium model. But there's a lot to criticize. There's a lot to worry about, it seems to me, when it comes to these models of doing business. South Park called freemium games a deal with the Canadian devil. You have to see the episode for that to make sense. Um, the, the Canadian devil, by the way, is named Beelzebut. Um, so, you know, <laughs> the, the, but I think it points to a fundamental difference here. I'm interviewing on this show tomorrow an author who wrote a book called Sharenting about some of the perils of people sharing information, photos, stories about their kids on social media. And it just points to the whole worry that when we engage in the attention economy, when we engage with social media, ostensibly for free, we're not sure exactly what we're giving away. We're not sure what price we're really paying in terms of 
facts about ourselves that can then be leveraged to sell us things. And so I, I have all kinds of ethical quandaries, concerns about that. Um, but I, my question for you, um, you, by all means, feel free to weigh in on sort of the, the, the ethics aspect of this, but as a business and investing expert, do you think, first of all, that there is such a thing as free? Should you be suspicious when you see services that are offered ostensibly for free? And to the extent that there is this kind of free sector, this freemium business model, do you think it has a long-term future or are these kinds of concerns ultimately going to catch up with it? You should always be um, curious about something that is offered to you for free. And I think it's always a great question um, whether you're an investor or, or whether, you know, whether you're thinking about buying shares of a company um, or you're just sort of curious about how the world works. I think it's always a great question to say, to ask the question, how does that company make money? So in the case of Facebook, it's like it's this free platform. I can log on on my phone, on my laptop. Um, I can stay connected with my friends. It's all, how does Facebook make money? It's like, well, they make money by serving up ads to you and they're very effective at doing it. Um, uh, there are business people I talk to who love advertising on Facebook because it is such an effective platform at targeting people. Um, so yes, I think you should always be curious about anything free. How are these people making money? Um, in terms of the ethics of it and the future of it, I, I do think this, this will continue to happen. Um, I, I, I don't say that um, with complete confidence that Facebook won't run into trouble, won't whether it's uh, they take a hit on revenue because of the update to Apple's iOS or that um, they don't have regulatory problems somewhere down the line. Both those things are possible. Um, but in terms of free, and you know, Chris Anderson, who, uh, as you mentioned, that was the first interview I ever did at The Motley Fool. Um, was I, he was visiting our office and I interviewed him in, in front of a, uh, everyone at the company. Um, and, uh, and it's a very interesting book um, for any listeners who are curious. Um, uh, because part of what he does is goes in, he goes into the history of things being offered for free. Um, and, you know, you can go back a hundred years. And uh, I think it was the, um, the maker of Jello, the maker of Jello gelatin. Um, you know, the product wasn't a hit right off the bat. And so what actually helped boost sales was they created um, a recipe book and they gave the recipe book away for free. Um, if you think about um, most products you'll find um, uh, in, in a grocery store, um, in like the baking aisle, in, um, you know, uh, whether you're picking up sauces or marinades, uh, just on the back of the packaging, there will be a recipe. They're giving you that recipe for free. You know, there are cookbooks that cost money, but they're giving you a recipe for free. Why are they doing that, Matt? They want you to use the product. They want you to use the marinade or the sauce or the baking mix so that you'll enjoy it and then go out and buy more. So I, I think uh, the idea of free as a business model has a very bright future. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I mean, I, I and of course, Chris Anderson's book sparked a retort from another business writer who wrote a, a comeback book uh, called Not For Free, <laughs> contending essentially, no, there's really no such thing. It's a question of whether the price you're paying 
is sort of labeled and transparent up front, or if it's sort of snuck in on the back end through the back door. And, you know, for my part, I'd rather know what I'm paying for up front. And this isn't all a criticism of Facebook per se. I use Facebook. I actually kind of happen to like Facebook. I just, I, I, it does give me a feeling that they're hiding the ball a little bit in ways that people don't fully realize uh, when they sign the user agreement, when they sign on the dotted line. There's something that, that feels a little off to me, but all that being said, that, that's, that's just me kind of opining. At the end of the day, I take your point that there's a long provenance for this kind of idea in business that you know you you offer something free as as a loss leader or as a uh, skinny edge of the wedge to get engagement from your customer base to to get them involved with your product and there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that so i i i guess i i guess i take that the other point that i i would note and this i guess matters for people like you and me who are in the podcast business is Facebook announced last week that they're going going to get into that business in a big way. They want to become a content creation and distribution hub. Um, We've seen a number of companies kind of make a play in this space. So it does kind of point to the fact that Facebook has been uh, clearly $70 billion is nothing to sneeze at. It's still the core of their whole business, but they are diversifying in the content, the products they offer. And it sounds like you're saying, you know, from an investor standpoint, there's no reason to pull the ripcord on Facebook just yet. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, This is a business that has been underestimated since it went public in 2012. And, um, you know, people who were patient and held on to shares of Facebook have been handsomely rewarded. The push that Facebook is making into audio is interesting to me, not just as someone who makes his living in the world of podcasts, um, but also because I think that um, these are investments that Facebook can make. They're, they're testing some live audio, which is sort of their version of the Clubhouse app. They just announced a partnership with Spotify. And uh, so people can it, who are Spotify subscribers, it makes it easier for them to Um, listen to Spotify while still being on the platform. And that's the key thing is that Facebook wants you on the platform. The longer you can stay on the platform, the longer that engagement is, those are important metrics to Facebook's business. So it makes sense to me that they're making this type of push into audio rather than video. Well, I guess for now, we'll leave it there. It's it's just a, a topic that can as we said, get elevated in in, in all sorts of directions. I want to go in the other direction on another piece of economic news from the week. Uh, Instead of drilling up, if if there is such a thing, I want to drill down a little bit. You pointed out to me when we were off the air that the housing market is absolutely bananas. And that has led to kind of an interesting tie-in, an interesting correlation in terms of businesses that have to do with taking care of your house, renovating your house, sprucing up your house. What's all that about? It's amazing what's happening in the housing market right now because it really does seem to be everywhere in the country. Um, There have been times over the past decade where you'll hear about a single 
housing market being overheated, you, you know, San Francisco, Seattle, sort of these uh, large city tech hubs. Um, but what's happening right now, uh, you know, I, I'm talking to people on the West Coast, people in New England, um, people in the Mid-Atlantic region, um, I have a friend in Texas. I mean, it really does seem to be everywhere, not just anecdotally, the people I'm talking to, but also the reports I'm uh, seeing. So Sherwin-Williams, which is a paint business, which is among the more boring businesses in the world because they just sell house paint and their stock hit an all-time high this week. And when I saw that, I thought, yeah, that makes sense to me. I don't own shares of Sherwin-Williams. I probably should buy a couple of shares because I realized when I was thinking about it that I don't really have any exposure to housing and home improvement in my portfolio. And I should probably get some because uh, particularly when it comes to home improvement, you know, housing is and probably always will be a cyclical thing. So the, the heat that we're seeing in the housing market right now, it's going to cool off at some point. But I think home improvement um, is probably a steadier place for investors to be, whether it's businesses like Home Depot and Lowe's um, or businesses like Sherwin-Williams, because nobody buys a house and thinks to themselves, every color in this house is perfect and I'm not gonna change a thing. Um, I still remember um, that my wife and I live in the house that we bought in 1997. And I remember being here for the home inspection and the guy who was inspecting the home before we closed on it was very nice and let me follow him around and ask questions and all that sort of thing. And when it was all over, I, said to him, this is the first home I've ever bought. Do you have any advice for me? And he said something I will always remember. He said, it never ends. And I said, what never ends? And he said, there's always going to be something that breaks that you have to fix, or there's always going to be something that you or your wife gets sick of and you want to change. And it doesn't always happen at once, but those things keep happening when you own a home. So that's my advice to you. Just know it never ends. And I was investing in individual stocks back then, Matt. And if I had put two and two together, I would have bought shares of Home Depot or Lowe's because he's absolutely right. For anyone who owns a home who's listening, you know, it never ends. And so why not invest in the things that never end? Technology changes over time, but that idea of, I own this home and I want to change something or something broke and I need to fix it. That never ends. Anytime you can invest in something that never ends, that's a good place to be. Well, you know, I think my wife and I are maybe one slight corollary caveat to the Chris Hill rule about no one ever buys a house and says every color is perfect. Don't change a thing. If you fall into the category of people who don't notice paint colors. And we are people like that. I mean, literally when we sold our, our last house in New Hampshire, it took our realtor to be like, you know, all the paint is peeling off like the backside of your house. We're like, Oh yeah, that is unsightly. We did not realize that. So yeah, we are a slight, we are a slight caveat there, but the rest of your point is awfully well taken because we moved into a new house that I think was designed by uh, a student in architecture who went on to an unsuccessful career and is now working in something else. Everything is ill-proportioned, badly constructed, horribly thought out, 
um, put in the wrong place. So yes, it never ends. So you called out Lowe's, Home Depot, Sherwin-Williams, any other companies kind of down that waterfall of the, the top line is housing is hot. The second level is, and by the way, when people are buying houses, they're renovating, they're fixing things up, they're sprucing things up. What companies should occur to our listeners to maybe put an eye on? Um, I think those two, Home Depot and Lowe's, and you know, that's the, one of the great things about investing is there are almost always multiple winners in a given industry. It's not a zero-sum game. So when someone asks me, should I buy Home Depot or Lowe's? My first question back to them is usually, is there a reason you can't buy both? And sometimes there is. Sometimes it's, you know, I, I don't have a lot of money. I'm looking to um, build up my portfolio. I have a strategy of buying one stock at a time. You know, those are all perfectly valid things. But you can buy more than, if, if you can buy more than one uh, in the space, then uh, I would recommend doing that. I think Sherwin-Williams, which is the leader when it comes to house paint, um, is great. And uh, another one that I think we've talked about before, Scott's miracle Grow. Um, I'm sure there are other uh, fertilizer businesses that help your grass grow and help your lawn look better. I can't think of them. I don't know what the Pepsi is to Scott's Miracle Grows Coke. Uh, again, there, it's probably out there, but I don't know what it is. It's like with Clorox. Like, right. are, are there other bleaches? Yeah, there are other bleaches. Are they brand names that you're familiar with other than just sort of whatever is the generic cheaper option? I don't know. I can't think of one. You know, there probably should be an economics. There probably is. There's probably a business rule about this, a marketing or an economics rule that when your brand name becomes synonymous with the product, right? If you say to yourself, I've got to go Xerox something, right? If, if you say, oh my gosh, I've got to sneeze. Help me reach for a Kleenex. You've reached a point as a business where you know, there's, a, there's a tipping point there. There's something in that. All right, one final point before we go, because you mentioned just how hot the housing market is. The last time we heard the words super overheated hot housing market, it led to an epic crash because of subprime lending. Any indications that we're on the verge of another housing bubble here? It seems like systemically we're in a different place because um, uh, the mortgage industry is um, not doing what it was doing last time around. Um, again, it's cyclical. The, the housing market will cool off. But in terms of the warning sign, we're not seeing the same warning signs that we saw in 2006 and 2007. Chris Hill, you are truly a five-tool athlete. As they say in baseball, you can go all the way up to the highest level of the economy and ethics, or you can drill all the way down to house paint. Thank you for running the gamut of the economy investing with us here once again on WKXL. 